This is episode 200 of IDRA Class Notes. The reason that this is a big policy issue at state takeovers of local public school districts is because this is not an effective educational reform. The main concern isn't so much that schools don't need any type of supports or that everything is going swimmingly, it's that this is not a necessarily effective form of educational reform to assist districts that clearly are facing various challenges. And what we've seen that actually is effective is when communities are a larger part to eventually support student success. My name is Anna Ramon. I'm the Deputy Director of Advocacy here at IDRA. I want to begin by welcoming you to the IDRA Class Notes podcast. Today we'll be talking about the history and current events surrounding state takeovers of local school districts. I'd like to begin by introducing two of my colleagues here on the policy team. Uh, Terrence Wilson, based in Atlanta, is our Regional Policy and Community Engagement Director. And Chloe Sykes, based in Austin, Texas, is our Deputy Director of Policy. Thanks, Anna. Happy to be here. Thank you, Anna. Great to be here. So to begin to kind of set the tone, I think it would be helpful to first talk about the history and the timeline of these state takeovers. And Chloe, you've been doing a bit of a deep dive into this. So could you start by maybe laying a little groundwork for us? Yes. Thanks, Anna. So state takeovers are essentially by definition, they are state authorized through to state legislation authorizing some type of entity to take control of a local school district uh, as part of the accountability efforts, or what we know as like turnaround efforts from No Child Left Behind, but that still is part of our federal and state accountability systems, is that if a school is deemed low-performing for a certain period of time, many states have authorized their state education agencies, state boards of education, um, some other type of entity to be able to go in and take over the school district, and in some cases even abolish the existing school board and implement a series of other types of reforms. We also see sometimes that those targeted school districts that are under these takeovers might be handed off to the mayor as well of that municipality. That's what the state takeovers mean. And since 2017, 33 state legislatures have actually passed laws permitting these types of reforms in their states. But the history goes farther back than that. We've seen them beginning in the 1970s, starting to pass in state legislatures as a form of reform, and then really picking up in the 1980s as we move into the accountability era, starting to see less federal oversight of education that we saw in the 1960s and had kind of come together through the civil rights movement. And we start to see more of a dissolving of that power back to the states. And that's what really gives entree into these types of laws being passed. And then the first takeover actually happened in New Jersey in 1989 of the Jersey City Public Schools. You know, and Terrence, as our regional policy and community engagement director, is there anything that you think would be helpful to add on to what Chloe said? Just that in a lot of different places, the dynamics between the local school board and the state uh, school board or the state executive uh, that is coming in to take over the schools is that um, oftentimes school districts that are largely minority, uh, largely in sometimes lower income areas, are the targets of a lot of these issues. And so we know that across the country there are a lot of different issues that go into why schools underperform. Uh, and so we know that you know there are a lot of different tools that can be used to support 
those school districts, but oftentimes the state takeover is, is one of the most drastic measures that is being used more and more often uh, across the country and in our uh, some of our most low-income and populations that have the highest concentrations of students of color. Yeah. I'll just add a number to that, and I'm, I'm pulling from Domingo Morel's work on state takeovers, but in his research, 85% of state takeovers across the country have affected districts that serve a majority black or majority Latino school population. And so just to Terrence's point, the evidence shows that there can be a severely racially disparate effect of which districts experience a state takeover due to other accountability metrics and measures. Well, thank you for that. First, the historical perspective, and this is an excellent segue into something that I think is now, unfortunately, in our current purview. And maybe starting off with Chloe, kind of where do we now see the cases in Houston? And like, where are those cases now as they currently sit when it comes to local uh, public school takeovers? Yeah, I'll actually, I'll hand it off to you, Terrence, and I'll chime in if you want to give some of the legal background. Sure, absolutely. The the most recent case that is happening here in Texas is with the Houston Independent School District. And really, the, the case began in January of 2019 when the Texas Education Agency launched an investigation to some of their practices. Uh, and they had received some complaints that the Houston Independent School District had not been holding meetings appropriately under the Texas Open Meeting Act. Uh, and there have been some other sorts of mismanagement in the Houston Independent School District. And over the course of that year, between January and August, the TEA did an investigation into what was going on with the Houston Independent School District. And they found that there was mismanagement, that there that there were certain instances of school district members exceeding their authority under the law, also having some issues with contracting and procurement. But the actual issue that's really actual controversy in this case is what the next steps were. And so... In November, Commissioner Mike Morath um, notified the Houston Independent School District that he was his intention was to appoint a board of managers and a superintendent to replace the current board of trustees and the superintendent. And he based this decision on the investigation, right, which found mismanagement, the lowered accreditation status, and the unacceptable performance of one uh, district campus of the conservator appointment in the Houston Independent School District. And so the issue in that is that typically academic performance is the reason why a school would be taken over. And oftentimes there needs to be more than one school district, although it can be there are some laws that allow for just one poor performing school to mean a whole district can be taken over. But really the the question is whether this was an appropriate use of his authority as the Texas Education Agency Commissioner to take over the, the school district in its entirety. The Houston Independent School District wanted to challenge this in court. In August, they filed a lawsuit uh, challenging whether this would be something that the commissioner could do under his authority uh, under the law. And so they filed in federal court, and the federal court um, heard the application for a preliminary injunction. So the Houston Independent School District asked the federal court to basically stop what was going to happen, stop them from being taken over, stop their board from being replaced. And they argued several different federal laws that would allow them to show that their students would be negatively impacted by this decision and it was going to uh, affect the civil rights of their of their population. 
Unfortunately for the Houston School District, the federal court actually decided that for a procedural reason, the school district was not the appropriate body to bring this case. And so they didn't actually win uh, that preliminary injunction based largely on a procedural reason. But the court did let them know that they could still file in state court, which they've done. And earlier this year, the state court actually agreed with the, the school district. The judge in that case essentially said that, you know, under their reading, it's a, there's a possibility that both the commissioner and the conservator exceeded their authority under state law. Uh, and they granted the, the school district a temporary injunction. And so it's not a permanent measure that would mean that this can't happen, that the school district may not still be taken over, but it's a temporary halt to everything that's happening, and it's meant to maintain the status quo. And so you've really got a situation now where the school district is still being able to understand what the ramifications are for their students and for their parents in the district. They're going to be able to make those arguments in a trial that's set for June of this this year in 2020. And so it's an ongoing case, right, that's happening right now, but it's really reflective of the tension between boards that may sometimes in reality have challenges and they may not always perform up to the standard that we would like them to perform to. However, they are duly elected and there are mechanisms where board members can be replaced. And really, even under the law as it's written, it really for academic performance or is it for some other reason? Is it meant to manage things outside of really helping schools that aren't able to perform on their own? So that's the question that's going to be answered with this upcoming case, and I think we'll have a better answer here in Houston uh, sometime in the near future. Thank you, Terrence, for helping marry the legal and the policy, and it's always nice to have an Esquire on our policy team. Extremely helpful. One of a couple, for sure. This is a really nice kind of transition into our next question. There's a lot of education priorities that are ahead of families and professionals and the general public. Uh, Chloe, you know, why is this something that is a pressing issue now? That's a good question. These are starting to get a lot of news play, especially because two of the cases we're highlighting right now of Houston and Little Rock are large districts with long histories um, in a lot of state and local tensions um, for a number of reasons. But the reason that this is a big policy issue of state takeovers of local public school districts is because the research, and there are decades of research given that these reforms began in the 70s and 80s, is that this is not an effective educational reform to turn around a district that is deemed to be low-performing through its accountability metrics. That the research shows, and this is longitudinal research, that academic achievement does not typically increase, can in fact worsen or, or be stagnant in districts that have been taken over by the state and managed by either a state or mayoral appointed board or other management system. Um, in Little Rock, which is kind of coming out of a takeover phase right now, the Little Rock School District, a recent report showed that actually more campuses are now deemed so-called quote-unquote failing under their system than when they were taken over five years ago. And so the main concern isn't so much that schools don't need any type of supports or that everything is going swimmingly. It's that this is not a necessarily effective form of educational reform to assist districts that clearly are facing various challenges and need more support from either the state, federal government, and, and their communities. And what we've seen that actually is effective is when communities are a larger part of being that support, where either their resistance to the takeover effort 
is um, is successful and supported and has kind of a groundswell effect when there's greater forms of community engagement and parental engagement, that is typically where we see that there are other more holistic measures that are changed in the district to eventually support student success. Terrence, is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I think the question about effectiveness is, is really key, but also it gets to a core belief about the, the reason why we have local school boards in the first place. And it's really so that those students and those parents who are closest to that community can make the decisions to govern how their school should be run. And I think we have mechanisms to deal with bad actors on our school boards, you know, that are already uh, in the law that allow for school board members to either be removed for misconduct or to be voted out in an election. And that's the way that we can handle these situations when they arise. But coming in for the state to take over a school board and and take away that ability for those local parents and students to have a say in how their schools are run, something that we should really consider is whether or not that's a measure that should be used at all and whether there are other ways to handle what we should do when a school is not performing up to the standard that we all want for our children. And I think it's important for community members and for students and for advocates to understand that they have a voice in these in these times when uh, you can look at the Little Rock situation and there was controversy about whether or not they were going to return the Little Rock school district to local control. And you saw a coalition of parents, of students, of educators going out in, in mass and protesting, saying that we want control of our schools. And they were able to get the Little Rock School Board to power return to them uh, in Little Rock. And so I think it's important to understand that, you know, you have a voice in your local school board. It's, it is important that we're all pushing for our schools to be the best that they can be for our students. But it's, it's important to keep those decisions in the hands of those who are closest to them and that really to consider whether you know, having the state come in and and run your school, if that's going to do any better for your students in the long run. And I think that the idea and the research and what we see in examples is that that's not the way that we should be trying to go. I know you've touched on some of this, but I think finally it would be great to see what what responses and what uh, solutions are out there. A lot of times we can lay out issues and problems, but a lot of folks, they want to know how do we fix it? How do we address it? So in regards to local school district takeovers, what are some solutions that you'd like to highlight to our listeners? Some solutions are... I'm hesitant to use the word solutions, but some other alternative approaches are kind of what we were talking about, of bringing more community engagement models into any type of accountability efforts that are, and I'm using the word turnaround because this is what we see and this is what becomes, you know, taken up by the media and this becomes the official status of a school, that it's in turnaround status. But when we bring community members in, what I mean by we is that that there are spaces made available for community members to be more active agents in the school governance and local governance, we see much better results. And there are a few models that exist for this. One, these are just other models than other research other states have tried is full service community schools where there's a variety of other wraparound services such as adult education and other types of partnerships and after school care and additional healthcare supports that a school might provide that engage the school campus and community members in a different way. And um, that has been shown to be a very effective model in some settings. Generally to also just to echo Terrence's recommendations that there are other options for local school boards 
to be publicly accountable because they are elected generally. If someone is not acting in the representative fashion of their school district constituents, it is the most local form of democracy, imperfect as it may be, but it does exist in that way and at least has that level of public accountability that a state takeover does not. Other types of reforms that allow control to be at that local level are very important. And honestly, to be frank, I don't know that there are really policy solutions to combat the state takeovers there's really a call to families and communities and coalitions to come together if they suspect that this is something that could be facing their communities, because that has been the most effective thing we've seen in New Jersey and in New York, uh, in Pennsylvania. These have been big issues, and it has really led to some pretty powerful um, parent and community organizing and coalition building to get some laws changed. So it's kind of a grassroots and like top to bottom type of situation because it does extend to the state legislature. But families coming together over these issues, if they matter to them and to their school district, is one of the most effective approaches we've seen and is powerful. I think it's always great to end on a call to action. So thank you to policy team. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the IDRA Class Notes podcast. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.